0: So the store's household nativity set is something that I get really excited about. Uh, I just love this thing. Now, in in most years, our nativity set that we have set up in our home, you know, the the Bethlehem manger scene with all the various uh, Christmas characters, biblical characters involved in it, uh, usually it's it's a moving kind of scattered, uh, interactionary sort of uh, uh, nativity set for us. In most years, we scatter the characters throughout the house. And as the time goes on uh, throughout December, throughout Advent, uh, the characters move. So as you might expect, the wise men start off very far away, sometimes at the other end of the house, sometimes even hidden or tucked away in a bedroom or a bathroom somewhere, very, very far away. And then the shepherd's journey, it actually begins a little bit closer, um, not too close to Bethlehem, you know, because the shepherds smell a bit, so they have to keep their distance from uh, (laughs) Mary and Joseph. But each day, they, inch, they all inch a little bit closer to where it is, the barn where Mary and Joseph wait. And of course, Jesus does not make his appearance until Christmas Day. Now, all of this is very cute and very cuddly. Um, our kids, especially when they were younger, they just loved getting involved in this. But last year, I upset my family a little bit uh, with the nativity scene. Uh, Inspired by the heavenly battle that's described in Revelation chapter 12, I bought a new character for the nativity scene. Uh, If you've been to our home, you may um, remember this, but I bought a dragon for the nativity scene. Uh, He makes a really good fit in this, according to me at least. And uh, so he's he's a scary dragon with big bat-like wings and a long tail and, and very sharp teeth. Now, to my family's credit, they actually don't think that the dragon blends in very well with the, the wooden cow and the wooden sheep and, and that. Um, but the thing is, I actually think that until Christmas Day, I, and when Christ aco- comes and appears in our manger scene, I think until that happen, that dragon is actually the most realistic and relevant aspect of the nativity scene that we see. So we find ourselves now in the season of Advent. This is the season of darkness. And as you've heard me say before, this is a season in which we sit ourselves down with the prophets. We look around and we assess the darkness. We get face to face with the darkness. And it causes us to ask really difficult questions. We look up up into the sky and we ask questions like, God, where are you in the midst of all of this pain and tragedy that we see? Because the fact is, when we look around, when we assess the darkness, it's the realities of the dragon that are most pressing upon us. That is something that we cannot deny. All of us will be able to acknowledge the reality of evil and its presence in our world, that evil which plagues us both within our hearts and also in our society that we wrestle with. The dragon is real. And it causes us, all of this causes us to ask a question of whether or not God is actually here to act on behalf of his creation. But Advent, as our candle lighting ceremony reminds us, is about other things as well. It's about the preparation of the coming of a king. It's about joy and hope and peace. These, Advent, you see, is also a time of anticipation. Because also, like the prophets, you and I, brothers and sisters, have been given the gift of faith by the power of the Holy Spirit. The gift of faith. And so by that Holy Spirit, we listen to that faint, quiet, yet steady voice of faith. We look past the dragon in the manger scene, and we look and see that empty manger, and we know the king is coming. The king will come. So this is the third Sunday in Advent. We're going to look again at Isaiah. Um, and and I have to admit, I didn't intend going into this Advent season uh, looking at Isaiah every single week, but man, it's just been enchanting to me. I I love the beauty of the prophet. Um, I love these words. And then also, just as a heads up, next week, Josh Moon is going to come, and he's going to preach for us, Uh, newly priested Josh Moon. So Father Josh is going to be here, and he's going to open up the Old Testament passage to us as well. So here in this chapter, Isaiah 65, it's close to the end of the prophet's work. And Isaiah prophesies to his people. And here the word of God is growing that gift of faith to the people of God. To them 2,000 or longer years ago and also to us here and now. And the words that the prophet has for us this morning are beautiful words. The words that stir our hearts They're words that remind us that God is, in fact, making all things new. And so you'll see the way that I have it laid out in your bulletin, or if you're online, maybe the the way in which, um, you know, if you're you're looking at the bulletin there that you've downloaded, you'll see that it's split into three main sections, a short one, a medium, and a long one. The longer section is then broken up into three sort of subsections. So hopefully that's clear from the spacing of it that I've laid out for you. And so we're going to be looking at each one of those three major sections, these three poems that the prophet has for us. Each of them giving us a new ass or stirring our faith in new ways in declaring the promises of God. So the first, the first poem tells us about the new cosmos that God is creating. Those opening words uh, remind us of something familiar, right? Remember in Genesis when we read, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth? Well, here in Isaiah 65, verse 17, God says, for behold, I create a new heaven and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or even come to mind. In other words, the entire cosmos will be remade, reordered, restored, redeemed, all of those things. But also, what I love about this is that everything from the old order will be forgotten. It'll be forgotten, it will fade from our minds. Now, I need to clarify a few things. So this doesn't mean that, that those memories, those things that had happened, didn't even happen at all, or even that they weren't significant. No, this passage isn't our God acting like a doting mother who conveniently forgets that her children ever, forgot or ever fought. That's not what this is. Nor does this mean to downplay the significance of sin. That's not what the prophet is saying here at all. No, our sins are all still quite significant. In fact, for our sin, Christ came into the world and suffered upon the cross and he still carries the wounds of that on his body. But he is also the God who declares from the cross, it is finished. So God is also not like a spiteful boyfriend who keeps dragging up those mistakes from the past. No, those sins and those memories have no power over us in the new creation. The horrors of the past are nearly insignificant in light of the eternal weight of glory that awaits us. So in the new creation, there is no reason that we will be dwelling on the past or defeated by the past. Our old junk will not come to haunt us anymore. And there in verse 18, the prophet says this, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. So God takes our former things, our painful memories, those things which we regret, and then instead he calls us now into a life of joy and a life of gladness and not just a temporary one, one that lasts Forever. You see, the new creation is not a temporary gig uh, like this present one that we live in. No, as our creed says, He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and His kingdom will have no end. God is making an entirely new cosmos. So that takes us to the second poem. Again, God says, A second time, I will create. In the first poem, God attends to the healing of all creation, the remaking of all creation, and even our own memories. But now in the second poem, we see that he's remaking the holy city herself. In the second half of verse 18, we read, For behold, I will create Jerusalem to be a joy, and her people to be a gladness. So what are some of the characteristics that we see of the new Jerusalem in uh, in this passage? Well, we see that there's no more weeping in the city. We see that the people instead will be glad. God himself will rejoice and be glad but also we see that death no longer reigns. You see here in this present world, in our cities all across the globe, death is the ruler. Death rules over the entire fabric of the world. And sure, there's a pandemic right now that's claiming life all across the globe. And we can talk much about that. We have talked much about that. But we ourselves are death's agents. We ourselves bring death into the womb of, in horrifying numbers. We ourselves bring death to convicts who've, who've earnestly repented. We ourselves are under the rule of death. But most, the most undeniable reality, you've heard me say this before, of the entire cosmos and of our own hearts is the rule of death. Nobody can deny this. But our God, out of his abundant love, will in the new city establish a new rule. He will establish the rule of life. Infants will not die prematurely. The old will not die in tragedy. The young will live out their fullness of life. And the curse, even if it were to be sniffed out and found anywhere, or even if there were sinners and wicked in the, in the new creation, the curse will find every person who rebels against God and balance the scales of injustice. Now, these illustrations don't mean to imply that death itself still exists, Uh, This poetic language doesn't mean to say that. No, this is Isaiah's poetic way of saying that no matter what the season of life is, the power of death will be no more. Of course, the wicked will not be allowed in the new Jerusalem. But even if the sinner were somehow to sneak in, (laughs) hypothetically speaking, the curse will find him. So many of you know that dear friends of ours uh, who were pillars at Church of the Cross. They'd visited our church many times. Uh, Mel and Sue Oz uh, passed away just this week from COVID-19. And um, they, they were just particularly encouraging to me. Uh, I remember when I was still uh, learning how to preach at Church of the Cross. Some of you might say I'm still learning how to preach. Uh, but after every single sermon, Mel would come up to me and say, that's great, Rick, that's great, but, but, but when are you going to be planting that church? You know, he was so eager and excited to see this restoration take root. And he and several from his family would come and, and visit us. Um, many of you know them. And it's, it's tempting for us to say, you know, well, they, they were in their 80s, you know, they lived a full life, but any of you who know them know the fullness that they have inside of them, the beauty that just emitted from them. You know, like, they had much more to give. I can still hear their voices, both Sue's and Mel's, in my mind. I can imagine myself having conversations with them and remembering uh, times in which they've given me hugs or encouraged me and, or even just wonderful conversations with all of their family who were just fantastic people. But they were taken from us prematurely. Death is the constant interrupter of us all. But in that new life, in that new city, I am so eager when I will see them again, when we'll have conversations again that aren't interrupted by death. And I know many of you feel the same way about so many of the loved ones who you've lost over the years or even more recently. In that new city, the new city, the new Jerusalem that God is creating, we will walk in an abundant life. And we will be ordered by God's new rule of life, A rule of joy, a rule of gladness, and a rule of abundance. And that brings us to the third poem, where we will see and experience an entirely new culture, a new culture. So what do I mean by a new culture? Well, you'll see in each one of these three uh, sort of subsections. Hopefully, again, that's clear in your bulletins. But the prophet gives us three pictures of what this new culture looks like. And I'm going to run through these relatively quickly. So first in verse 21, God's people will build houses and they'll actually live in them. They'll plant vineyards and they'll actually enjoy the fruit of them. What this means is that we will work together. We will enjoy leisure with one another. The way in which humans were uh, meant to do from the beginning, we will interact with one another in in the fullness and the blessedness that God intends for us. All those dreams you have of making and building, and exploring, and creating artwork, all of those things, none of them will ever be thwarted by the attacks of the enemy. Be that disease, be that internal distractions, or be that the plans of the devil. In verse 22, my chosen, God says, shall enjoy the work of their hands. Oh, I'm so excited for that. Ben, I'm sure you've got a couple things to say about that too. (laughs) Ben's passage is, is faith and work. And whenever I encounter that in the scriptures, I, I think of you and, and the ways in which you could unpack that even more. But the second uh, part that we see here is not only are we, are, will we have a new and blessed way in which we relate with one another, but also the way in which we relate to God himself. God, not only will God bless life more, but he will provide for his people even before we're done making the request. He's gonna know exactly what we want and now, oh my goodness, how different is it? Now we ask, we beg, we wait, we plead with God. We ask, Lord, please make this, make this creation new. Bring us healing, alleviate our suffering, Lord. But in the new creation, there will be such a harmony with God, our Father, that he will constantly provide for us. And he will be delighted to do so. He will be eager to do so. He's gonna be excited to partner with us and to love on us. And then thirdly, we see that Eden itself will be restored. In verse 25, the wolf and the lamb, the lion and the ox will all graze together. But the snake, the snake, that is the dragon, the devil, he will always be cursed. He will not be allowed to come into this. Dust is still his food, Isaiah says. Nothing will threaten the Lord's holy mountain. That is his presence, God dwelling with his people. Nothing will be able to thwart that. Nothing will be able to take that away. His presence will remain in the middle of his people on his holy mountain, in his holy city. God promises a new culture. He is creating new ways for us to relate with one another, with himself, and with everything else in all of creation. Isn't this amazing? Isn't this just truly unfathomable to, to try to wrap our minds around? Like, the beauty of this is absolutely staggering to me, especially these couple of past couple of weeks that we've been through. It's especially hard for me to read this and actually to believe these words. But we don't believe these things blindly. You see, because 2,000 years ago, the king actually stepped into our world and he gave us a preview of this new kingdom. He gave us signs of the new kingdom. He showed us already what this is going to look like. And he said, this is just a preview. This is just a foretaste. This is just an inheritance because guess what? I will come again and I'm going to do this to every single atom of our entire universe. I am coming again. And to prove this, he died upon the cross. He defeated that ancient serpent, that devil, that dragon. He defeated him upon the cross. And today he's speaking to us through these words. And he's wooing you, brothers and sisters, to become closer to him. So I pray this Advent season. As we go out from here and as we continue and as we celebrate the birth of our Lord, may all of us find quiet times to still our hearts and to listen to that Holy Spirit who just wants to grow that gift of faith within all of us. May we long for the day in which we get to see these realities just up close and personal when God comes to make all things new. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, sometimes the darkness Is just so overwhelming to us, uh, the pain that it causes us. So Lord, I pray that your light, that you would truly tear open the heavens and come down. May we just see your your beacon of light strongly these days. Lord, where we are um, lacking in our faith, may you fill us up. Fill us up with your Holy Spirit, new and afresh, Lord, that we might experience you you yet again. And it's in your name that we pray these things. Amen.